Did you all have a good Christmas? And since you all have said that I had a wonderful Christmas, I want you to hear something that's probably going to be a little discouraging to you. I know it was for me when I found this while I was preparing for this sermon today. Did you know, and it's okay if you didn't, but did you know that 78% of people that profess to be Christians, profess to be Christians, when called on the day after Christmas and asked this question, are you glad that Christmas is over? 78% of them, four out of five said, what do you think? Yeah. Four out of five people that professed to be a Christian were tired of Christmas. They were glad it was over. And when you think of what Christmas is supposed to really mean, that's a really sad statement. If we celebrate Christmas truly the way it's supposed to be, it means that we're celebrating God's salvation plan for every single individual here and everybody you could ever run into. God's salvation plan. And can you hear Somebody saying, one of those 78%, I am really glad that the time to celebrate God's salvation plan is done. Because I don't want to celebrate it anymore. Or how about the birthday of Jesus who is the start of the salvation plan? Four out of five, once again, say, I'm just glad this is over. I don't want to be celebrating the birth of Jesus anymore. You know they don't say it that way. You know that. But that's what happens. Think about it. If you've got kids, you can't possibly disagree with this. If you've got kids, you get up in the morning, and the first thing, well, actually, they wake you up to get up in the morning, all right, if I remember correctly. And you give them their presence, and in 10 minutes, it's like a tornado went through. Wherever your house is, there's stuff thrown all over the place, and in 10 minutes' time, they're already looking for something new to do. If we just looked at our, at our children at Christmas time, we would come to understand that Christmas is not about making us happy because we're not going to become happy by just buying things for each other. We're not gonna become happy being bombarded by advertisements over and over and over again that tell us that if we don't have this item, our life is meaningless. So I can understand, I can truly understand why after Christmas has actually happened that we immediately start looking, what? At the new year. At the new year. And there are people, probably in here, there are people all over the world that come New Year's Eve or maybe some other day, sooner or later, will make what is called a resolution. Okay? A New Year's Eve resolution. 
But here's the problem. When you run into somebody that made a resolution, have you ever really heard what they've actually resolved to do? A lot of people want to lose some weight because they think if they're a little bit thinner, they're going to be a little happier. Their life will have more meaning. Some people will want to give up cigarettes or vaping because they think it will make them healthier. Other people want to live in a certain lifestyle. And so they pray for guidance in that arena as well. But here's the fact. The only way that those resolutions become habits, and this is statistically proven, because when you talk about resolutions, 90% of them are abandoned by the second week in, our, in February. The only way a resolution, the only way a, a promise, the only way anything that has meaning and purpose in our life comes to fruition is if we are aligned with Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Do you believe that? I hope so. Because when we look into 2020, one of the biggest questions we're going to ask ourselves, and some of you are probably already asking it because 2019 hasn't been a fun year for many of you. And so you're asking yourself this question, will 2020 be any different? Will 2020 be any different or maybe any better? And I want to tell you, that whether you are a believer or not, you ask that question. You don't have to know Jesus in order to ask that question, but you do have to know Jesus in order to get an answer to that question. Because if you don't know Jesus, then what are the choices left that give your life meaning and purpose? You all know somebody in this world that is suffering because they feel they have no value or worth. You all know that. You've all experienced that. And that's difficult to handle. It's a problem. And so when we come and we ask this question, will 2020 be any different than 2019? Here's my answer. Maybe. Maybe, maybe it will. It all depends on whether we start to recognize the fact that before we can solve any problem or move forward in any way, we first have to understand the problem we're facing. See, we can't fix things if we don't know what the problem is. Believe me, I've tried that. I've tried to fix things and not know the full aspect of what the problem is. And I bet you have too. But if we're looking for meaning, if we're looking in, in as with purpose for our lives, if we're looking at seeing 2020 as being better, the first thing we have to do is understand the problem why 2019 wasn't any better, why 2018 wasn't any better. Basically, when you think of it, especially if you're my age, you know things have changed but you're not sure they changed for the better. 
We don't want things to get worse, do we? Is that your goal? We don't want the world to keep going downhill. And I know not everybody agrees with that. Some people think the world is just fine right now. But if you're a believer in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you believe in what the Bible says, if you actually accept the word, the will, and the way of the Lord, you can't possibly think the world's getting better. It's getting worse. And it's up to us to fix that. It's up to us to come together to be aligned with the Lord, to be united as a congregation, to look at ministries that move forward in the community, to look at ministries that can happen that maybe haven't happened for a decade or so in this church as well. We have a pastor that wants to do that. Praise God for that. What a joy. Believe me, I've worked with a lot of pastors. We have a good one. Okay, And I'm not just saying that because he's gone. Matter of fact, I'd probably say that if he was here. But that would embarrass him. The truth of the matter is, we lose our focus on Christmas and look forward to 2020 because we have lost our focus on God. And the question then becomes, if 2020 is going to get better... We've got to regain that focus upon the Lord. We've got to understand why we can't stay focused on the Lord. And the great thing about God's word is that that it gives us not only confirmation of the problem, but it gives us a way of solving it. So first today, we're going to look at the problem. And the problem is very clear but it's also very difficult to hear. So I want to make sure I put in my safety clause here. These are not my words. What I'm about to read to you comes from the Holy Scriptures. They're God's words. They're tough words. They're hard words for us to hear, but they come from God. So if you're upset about hearing these words, don't be throwing stuff at me. Your problem is not me. Your problem is God. Your problem is being aligned with him. So here's the problem as Jesus sees it. It comes from the 8th chapter of John, beginning at verse 42 and going through the first part of verse 44. Actually, I'm just going to read it from up here if you want. That way it'll go easily. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. Now that question only has bearing, only has meaning, if we realize that it wouldn't have been said unless Jesus was facing exactly what we're facing today. Many people who profess to be Christians but simply do not live Christian lives. I'm sure I'm not the only one that can raise my hand on this one. I'm sure a lot of us profess to be Christians and still have problems in our lives. Anybody besides me? Yeah. And that's okay. That's okay. 
But what is not okay is being comfortable in that spot. If God were your father, you would love me. If God is your father, we must love Jesus. You get that? I'm going to say it again because I think that's so important that I would like more than one amen. No, I'll tell you. She's still learning. If God were your father, you would love me for I came from God and I am here. And I hope that was from the heart because it has to be if it's going to happen because there's too much other stuff in our world to get caught up with. There's too much other stuff in our world that takes up our time, takes up our money, takes up our direction. But it doesn't stop there, does it? It it goes on and says, I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Jesus is telling us, I came here for you because God himself sent me. For you. Whatever your worst day has been, you don't need to remember it anymore. Because you have a God that loved you so much that he sent his one and only begotten son for your eternal salvation. Amen? Amen? I think we can make a little noise on that. Can you give God a hand for that? Praise God for that. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me so much that you sent your, that you came to rescue us from sin. It goes on. Why do you not understand what I say? Have you ever read the Bible and and just thought about, boy, Jesus must just be thinking we are just wacko. You know, I think sometimes he does. I think sometimes he just thinks we are legitimate crazies because of the way we live our lives. But here's what he's asking. He's not judging. He's asking. And he says, why do you not understand what I say? And then he gives us the answer. It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You know why we can't bear to hear God's word? Because it causes us to feel like we should be living differently than we are living right now. Are any of you here today, you don't have to raise your hand, but are any of you here today wrestling with some temptations? Are any of you here wrestling with lifestyles? Are any of you here wrestling with doing something that maybe young people do but they shouldn't be. Or maybe middle-aged people do, but they shouldn't be. Or maybe even us seniors do, but they shouldn't be. God calls us out. God created us to be his children. And in that message is a lifestyle. He created us to live and become what he created us to be. Not what we desire, not what we say is okay, but what he created us to be. There's very few people in the world 
that get to that realization. And so I'm hoping that you're hearing God's word today. I'm hoping that you're taking it into your heart because it is important to realize that the greatest gift of all, life, comes with conditions. We were created to be like him, a reflection of Jesus. And in order for that to happen, we have to realize that the reason we don't hear his word is because we fall to the temptations that we've experienced in this life. God says, go this way. We say, I have a better idea. I want to go this way. I want to tell you, I am directionally challenged. And when Charlotte and I go on a trip, okay, there are many times that I want to go that way. And she says, no, I'm reading the map. It's this way. But I want to go that way. It doesn't matter to us sometimes if we have the map right in front of us. You see, we have a better idea. And I want to tell you that my better ideas usually don't work. Usually I end up about an hour, hour and a half later stopping at a gas station or something getting directions. I could have been there already, but I wanted to go that way. And friends, I want to tell you, that's exactly where we are today. That's where we are as a country. That's where we are as individuals. God has a plan for you and me, but we've got to accept the plan. We've got to follow his commands. So he goes on and he says, why do you not understand me? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You you are of your father, the devil. Now that hurts, doesn't it? Everybody right now should be grabbing their heart. They should be grabbing their heart and saying, oh, come on, I can't be a son of the devils or a daughter of the devils. I'm not that bad. I mean, look at Joe over there. He's way worse than I am. We're not talking about that. What we're talking about is who do you have a relationship with? You are one... You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. Now, it's awful hard for us to understand how that might happen with us because we think that we're living a good life. I don't think we have any axe murderers here. I hope. But in today's world, you never know. There were seven, seven Jewish people that were stabbed last night. They certainly didn't think somebody coming into the synagogue was going to be a, a, a person who stabs people. But seven people got stabbed last night. And the list of that grows and grows and is becoming more and more and more all the time. Why? Because we get tempted by the things of this world and we choose them over Christ. We choose them over Christ. You see, my life has no meaning unless I get that new car. Is there anything wrong with buying a new car? No. Unless you put Christ behind the new car. My life has no meaning unless I find the right girl or the right guy. Some of you younger people are experiencing this. 
Is there anything wrong with dating and finding uh, a, a girl or a guy for you? No. Unless you put them in front of Christ. There are so many things in this life that are temptations that we put before Christ in our lives that we don't even realize that we are actually doing the will of Satan by rejecting our Lord and Savior or being neutral. That's not as bad a word, is it? Being neutral to the Lord. How many people do you know that are neutral to God? All right, you know, if I have a problem that I really can't handle myself, I'll go to him. That makes God a genie in a bottle. I got, I got this serious disease. I need God's help. I have this problem that I can't solve. I need this God's help. We come to God, a lot of us, only when there is no other choice left to us. Do you see the problem that causes? If we applied that thinking to 2020, do you think there's any chance in the world of 2020 being a better year than 2019? It's not going to happen. It's going to be a worse year. More things are going to go downhill. And I know you want better than that. And God wants you to have better than that. But you can't have better than that if you're putting temptations of Satan in front of the word of God. Now, I could just end it right here and say, just swallow on that, chew on that for a while. But you would go home, I would think, feeling pretty depressed. And I don't want to do that to you. We care about you folks. And I want you to know before we leave today that the Bible also gives us the solution to this problem. And it's found in the fifth chapter of James. Now, James is not a book that is preached on a great deal. There are some passages that lead uh, to preaching very well. And this passage sometimes is used, especially if you're like on a hospital call or somebody's sick or something like that. But I'm not going to use it that way because I don't think that's the only way it should be viewed. Is anyone among you suffering? Now, I don't care if you raise your hand or not, but somebody here is suffering. And there might be many somebodies here that are suffering. I look at you and I know that you are good people, but some of you are going through difficult times. And the question is, is anyone among you suffering? I can raise my hand on that. You know, Charlotte and I have almost been married 50 years, but she's having another heart problem. We have to go see on a test on Friday. I'm suffering about that because I love her. You see? And you have people that it's you love as well. And it may not be you, but it's maybe somebody that you love. And so when we ask that question, is anyone among you suffering? Here's the answer. Remember, we had a problem. We had problems. All right, now here's the answer. Let him pray. Let him pray. 
And if there's one thing that's killing churches today, it's that we don't have enough prayer in the services, in the ministries. We don't pray. Oh, sure, we come up and pray when, when the pastor says it's prayer time. But how many of us pray consistently every single day? And if you do, God bless you. But there's also some of us that will look somebody right in the eye and say, yeah, I'll pray for you. And that prayer never gets said. Never gets said. One of the biggest tragedies in Christianity today is that we don't use the gift of prayer that God has given us. And so it says, here's the solution. If anyone among you is suffering, let him pray. And then it goes right to the opposite. Is anyone cheerful or blessed or happy? You, you've picked the word. Let him sing praise. Sing praise. Now, I have a great view of what happens when the praise team is playing. There's some of you that are singing. But a lot of you aren't. And I can tell you that what this means is it doesn't matter if you have, if you have glass in your throat to sing with. It doesn't matter if you can't carry a tune in a bucket. It doesn't matter if you are the worst singer anybody has ever seen. Because we're not talking about being harmonically perfect. We're talking about glorifying God. Amen. We're talking about glorifying God. And so people have come up to me and said, well, Pastor Jim, I'm just not a good singer. Okay. Are you a good prayer? Can you pray? If you can't sing while the praise team is playing, I would like to see all those that, for whatever reason, can't sing, be in deep prayer. Because you can glorify God that way as well. But pastor, I'm not a person that claps. Okay? Don't. But pray. Get into prayer mode. Get involved with what is happening. Are you cheerful? Let him sing praise. Let him pray praise. Let him be involved in that praising of all the gifts that God has given you. Is anyone among you sick? Is there anybody in our church sick? There's lots of people right now. It is amazing how health issues have become a major topic in our congregation. Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And I've been a pastor a long time. And I can tell you that there are people that sometimes if they have a hangnail, want to be anointed. And that's okay. That's okay. But there are also people that have serious illnesses that for whatever reason, don't follow that. And I want to tell you in that key, in that passage right there is a key to understanding your relationship with God. Because sick doesn't necessarily mean just physically. 
Sick does not mean just a disease. Sick means not being well or not being whole or not being complete in the eyes of God. Is there physical sickness? Absolutely. But what we're talking about here is more than that. We're not talking just about physical healing. We're talking about the fact that I may not have reached my potential. Does anybody feel that they might have missed something in their life? Maybe didn't realize all their ambitions or plans? I didn't get it done. For whatever reason, it doesn't matter. What we're talking about here is that God sees us as things that he is going to perfect. If we will have a relationship with him, he will heal whatever your sickness is based on his plan and timing. So is it possible for somebody that is very ill to be anointed and prayed for and still pass away? Yeah. But the joy I want you to hear is that person has been made complete. That person has been made whole by a loving God who has taken them home. I know that at funerals, many times I hear people just, how in the world could God let this happen to me? He didn't. The person that died is now with him in heaven. Why would you not be happy about that? How could you honestly say that I love someone so much that I would rather have them here with me for a few more years than eternal blessed, eternal life in God's heavenly kingdom. Let him pray over them and anoint them in the oil in the name of the Lord. If you, if you anoint them in any other name, it's not going to happen. And here's what I want you to hear. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. Notice it said save. Isn't that an interesting word to be there? Not heal or make well or better, but save. As in, I am saved. You are saved. We are saved. Because he has healed us our spiritual sickness. And the Lord will raise them up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Do you hear that? Because I know there are people in here today that have committed sins. I won't even ask again for a raise of hands. Because I just if you're being honest, everybody ought to be raising their hand. Everybody has sinned. But here is the hope. Here is the promise. If you've committed sins, you will be forgiven. Therefore, in order for that to happen... In order for that to happen, don't just put that last sentence away. In order for that to happen, confess your sins to one another, to one another, and pray for one another that you may be healed. You hear that P word again, prayer? Now, I know a lot of people won't share their skeletons because they've been hurt by somebody that has used that against them. And that is always a risk. But God is telling us 
to share the good, the bad, and the ugly of our lives together so that in one body we can come together and realize that we're not any one of us better than the other, but that God loves us so much that we all can be saved if we ask him into our heart. And pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power. Great power as it is working. Now I'm going to say something that I've said here before, but I want to make sure that, that you, because you, it probably offended a couple of people before. But if you're going to pray for me, I would just assume you'd be a righteous person praying. Okay? I don't want any non-righteous people praying for me. So if you're not trying to have a relationship with God, if you're not trying to get closer to Christ, if you're not trying to be the person that God created you to be, I just assume keep, have you keep your prayers to yourself. I want the prayers of righteous people. I want the people that are struggling and working and, and striving hard to be God's people. And if that sounds selfish, it is, because I want the prayers to work. And this passage makes it very clear. It's the prayers of righteous people that are working. So we had John 8, look at the problems. And we had James 5, looking at the solution. I want to read two more ver verses from James 19 and 20. Brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this, whoever turns a sin, sinner from the air of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Will 2020 be any better than 2019? That depends, and it depends on you and me. It depends on something that we can stop doing, being children of Satan. It depends on things that we can start doing right now, being truly children of God. And it depends on our desire to really make it happen. Do we understand that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins? That's a, that's a tremendous calling for each and every one of us. Now, I believe 2020 can be perhaps the first really changed year in a long time. But it's going, to it's going to depend on little churches like this. It's not going to depend on mega churches. It's going to depend on little churches like this who strive to show their love for one another. How many souls have been brought into this church in the last 10 years. The number's not big. The number's very small. But when we start saving, when we start bringing souls to Christ, one soul at a time, we will start something that is new and something that is truly different. We will have come to understand the problem. We will have come to understand the solution. And we will have decided to make the solution our path to our relationship with God. Will 2020 be any better?
I pray, and I hope you will join me, that it truly is.